0: Hello and welcome to the Lancet Psychiatry Podcast. Now if you are listening to this podcast while you are outdoors jogging, you are in luck because today we're going to be talking about exercise, specifically about a new paper published in the journal which is about the association between physical exercise and mental health in 1.2 million individuals in the USA between 2011 and 2015. This is a cross-sectional study, and I'm very pleased to be joined by one of the authors, Yale University's Adam Checkroot. Hello, Adam. Hello, now. So, Adam, first question is this. Do we really need another study saying that exercise is good for us?
1: So, it's a great question. Um, it's something that we tried to address very early on. I think that exercise exercise is obviously very important to a lot of people. Um, and in many areas of medicine, people have highlighted the benefits of exercise. So we know that it has musculoskeletal benefits. We know that it has cardiovascular benefits. Uh, and there are also a lot of studies suggesting that there's a relationship with between exercise and mental health and that, that, ex, that exercise may have some kind of positive effect on mental health. Um, and so we wanted to you know, explore that a little bit more deeply um, and, and address some kind of uh, questions that couldn't be addressed through traditional um, small-scale studies that, that might give us a bit more insight into the relationship.
0: Okay, and, and well, this this is the opposite of small-scale. This is 1.2 million people. So, so where are these data from that you, you used for the study?
1: Absolutely. So these are these are data that we uh, got from the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control and Prevention uh, in the United States. They every year they run a survey called the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System, um, very large survey that's uh, nationally representative and is is the way that the U.S. government and kind of collects metrics about um, behavioral risk factors and certain kind of health conditions. Um, And part of that survey does address questions around exercise and also addresses questions around mental health. Um, And so it gave us an opportunity if we aggregate across a few different years, so collected up all the data between 2011 and 2015, um, and and combine that to get a kind of a a bigger picture um, that would allow us to address some of the specific questions that we had in mind. And so
0: this study um, uses the data from the survey, and the survey is presumably of a, a representative group of American citizens?
1: Correct, yes. Yeah. Uh,
0: but it, this is self-reported data?
1: Correct. The uh, individuals basically complete that assessment um, in their own time and then may or may not be reimbursed. I don't
0: okay. So I mean, clearly when you've got uh, self-reported data, that does create a degree of uncertainty. How is that something which you've, you've handled in the study?
1: So there's there's uncertainty at different levels. Um, So a large sample gives you some certainty um, in certain questions. So, for example, you can um, estimate with more precision certain coefficients, and you can look for certain uh, kinds of relationships that might not be obvious in smaller studies. For example, you might find nonlinear relationships, or you might find interactive relationships. So it increases your confidence in many ways. Um, self-report data you know of course carries some limitations for example we don't know when someone says that they experience mental health um, whether this is something that a clinician would agree with for example so Um, A clinician may have a different evaluation than that patient does. and We know that in general that's probably not the case, but this is certainly a limitation and something that smaller studies wouldn't suffer from.
0: Well, you've touched on on my next question there, which is that this is a a study involving two very important subjects, uh, exercise and mental health, but there are also two terms which are used, I think, very imprecisely. Uh, by people, and um, so one of the questions which uh, I guess any reader would have looking at this paper is what exactly did you mean by exercise, and what exactly did you mean by mental health?
1: This is a great question. So and to keep it in context, often, you know, precision and your ability to measure things is often at odds with, with scale, so some questions require scale to, to answer And when you go to scale um, and ask those questions to many people you often don't have the kind of precision and control that you, that you would like to have in a very small study. Um, so specifically around mental health, the question that was asked was, now thinking about your mental health, which includes stress, depression, and problems with emotions, for how many days during the past month was your mental health not good? So it's kind of a classic patient-reported outcome. Um, it's very holistic. You know, it's, it's very susceptible to how that person is feeling. Um, but in many ways, that is kind of what we're interested in. Um, we weren't specifically looking to to find relationships between specific mental illnesses and exercise. And this really was kind of taking a public health approach um, and a very broad question of of how exercise might relate to how people are feeling um, in general. But I do think that the question is certainly specific enough for people um, not to be misled by the question. I think when we mentioned things like stress, depression, and problems with emotions, um, I think it's unlikely that that the subjects were, um, were confused about what that question was referring to.
0: And one of the issues which comes up again in in big studies like this perhaps in any epidemiological study is the issue of confounders and uh, I, I wonder how you accounted for that
1: yes so um this actually kind of gets kind of at the core of, of what our goals were so um, the nice thing about having a large sample is that um, the sample also is a bit more representative in terms of the balance of people that you have with certain combinations of compounds so um, you know, an easy way of thinking about that is if I do a, a perfect randomized control trial with 20 people on one side and 20 people on the other side. And then at best, I'll only have 40 individuals in that study. And so between those 40 individuals, at most, they'll have done 40 different exercises. Um, and so that gives us kind of a limited perspective uh, into specific subgroups and specific patterns um, of exercise that people might do. On the other hand, if you have... Many many people, and um, then you find that the, you may even have 8,000 people who just play golf. Um, it's just a random example, um, and amongst that you will have very a very diverse mix of people, um, and so that allows us to to get a very diverse picture um, when we're looking at that. So uh, on one side you do sacrifice, um, you know, very clean data and a very clear phenotyping of the people at the beginning, uh, but you do gain a lot in being able to ask questions and make inferences. Um, where you do still have a number of observations for each of the things that you're looking at.
0: So what we're talking about are really broad population patterns, and this study is maybe something we can take things from clinically now, but also a springboard to further research. Would you say that's fair?
1: Yeah, I think that's um, that's actually what we were most excited about um, from this study. I think that our goal, uh, you know, taking a, a broader look at this is Um, there is a lot of evidence, you know, regardless of the relationship between exercise and mental health, it's clear that exercise has a number of health benefits. Um, It's pretty clear as well that exercise has benefits for mental health. Um, And so our question, or the question that we were particularly focused on um, in this study, is what can we learn about that relationship uh, that might help us optimize this moving forward? So um, can we find, you know, certain kinds of exercises, certain regimes, um, or certain subgroups of people for whom exercise or certain kinds of exercise is particularly beneficial, um, because that would help us move forward. Perhaps design, uh, you know, experimental studies. Perhaps design certain products that people can engage with, and um, that might ultimately help improve their mental health um, without them having to go uh, into traditional kinds of treatments like psychological therapies or, or mental or other, you know, medication management programs.
0: So, what kinds of things did you measure to try to control for, for confounding variables?
1: So this survey asks a lot of questions of participants, and, and that does give us quite a broad picture. Um, it's not quite a perfect picture because if they were randomized, we might, we might be able to kind of forget about all of those, those other items. But in this case, um, a, a decent alternative um, is to measure a lot of things. So in this case, we did have a lot of, uh, a lot of information about that person um, at the individual subject level. So things like their age, their race, their gender, their marital status, and their fam- or family or household income, and the level of education that they have, what their exact employment status was, what their, uh, but also a lot of things that, re- that might also be related to exercise um, and might also impact that relationship. So things like body mass index, um, the, the patient's own self-report measurement about their, their physical health status, um, and uh, you know, whether or not they've been previously diagnosed with a, a, major, a condition of major depression.
0: Okay, so what did you find? Were there any particular forms of exercise which seemed to come out on
1: top? So there were. Um, we ran a certain kind of regression analysis that allowed us to contrast different types of exercise that people might have engaged in um, while controlling for all of those other pieces of information that I told you about for each individual. Um, and the results were pretty interesting. Um, I think that uh, really probably the most heartwarming result was that even walking, um was associated with a reduction in mental health burden so um, even individuals who said that just beside their day job they just went for walks um, actually experienced something between 15 and 20 percent reduction in their mental health burden compared to not exercising at all so um, there's a really very positive take-home message which is that really uh, something that's uh, fairly accessible uh, of course it's not accessible completely Uh, you know there are obviously certain kinds of people that wouldn't be able to engage in walking, but even just walking um, was associated with a pretty substantial uh, improvement or a pretty substantial association um, with lower mental health burden. Um, but at the other end of the spectrum, there were also pretty significant differences between the kinds of exercises that people did. So people who engaged in uh, popular team sports um, experienced the, the biggest reduction or the biggest association, um, something on the order of 20 to 25% reduction relative to not exercising, Um, And things like cycling, aerobic or gym exercises, um, and running were also associated with very strong benefits on the order of around 20% improvements.
0: So I'm going to ask you to speculate here. Um, One of the things which uh, I wonder looking at these data uh, is to do with why team sports seem to have this association that I think when we've thought about exercise and mental health there's been the idea about the relationship between physical health and mental health that if you're feeling physically better if you're physically healthier then you're, you're maybe you know, l- less likely to, to have um, disorders such as depression but might there be some non-exercise specific effect of team sports for instance the, the social aspects of
1: it yeah, that's a, a pretty natural speculation. It's probably one that I, I think is true. And um, there are many different grades of uh, of, of motivation that's going on, um, or you know, levels of the, where the effect might be generated. Um, I think that the minimum, even if you just do walking, um, you have to be motivated to get out of the house. Um, and so I think that that's already, um, you know, maybe a large part of what's going on, because it's clear that just walking um, had some benefit. Then there's obviously the grade, um, you know, the grade to which that exercise is physically demanding, Um, and this study also described, um, you know, a lot of interesting findings about kind of the dose of exercise that people would have in terms of how many times they exercise or how long they exercised for. And then finally, you know, on top of that, even when you go and you do something that's physically demanding, uh, there may be a social element to that, or there may be an element of uh, something like mindfulness or, or yoga or something meditative about that sport. And so I think that there are three different levels of things going on, um, and I think that they probably all contribute in some way. Um, at the moment, it's not completely clear how, uh, you know, what the relative magnitude of those effects are, um, but it's, uh, you know, it's certainly pretty apparent from these data um, that the people who not only did an, an exercise at a, phys- a physically demanding level, um, but also engaged in something that was social, uh, things like team sports, um, certainly seem to, to endorse the lowest levels of mental health burden.
0: Although, of course, we have to be careful not to be too speculative because this is a cross-sectional study. So I suppose the direction of causality is still maybe still up in the air
1: here. Uh, Absolutely. You catch me misspeaking a couple of times and kind of correcting myself on the fly. Um, Not only is it, you know, potentially not clear which way the, the causal relationship goes, but there's actually a lot of evidence suggesting that it goes both ways. Um, for sure, people who exercise seem to have better mental health, but also people who have poor mental health, probably less likely to exercise. And so there have been studies showing that this effect is probably bi-directional. Um, although, then again, there are also randomized control trials showing that when certain people are made to exercise and some people do not exercise, the people who do exercise um, generally have better outcomes in terms of mental health, things like antidepressant efficacy. Um, so... I would say that not only can we determine the the direction of the relationship, but actually we're pretty sure that the the relationship is actually bidirectional. You know, it's very interesting from a scientific perspective, but I think that um, it's a bit less interesting from a a public health or from a a product perspective because I think that there is more than enough data to suggest that when people do exercise, they experience benefits, Um, and so helping people do um, or helping people to recognise that. Um, and helping informed informing a kind of shared decision making uh, process where that, that the patient or you know perhaps the employee or perhaps any individual um, recognizes the benefits that they would get uh, in a very broad sense for doing exercise and I think if those people then do go and exercise, they will experience a number of benefits and so um, you know, the scientific specifics of that relationship are definitely scientifically interesting. But I think that moving forward from a public health or from a strategic or from a policy perspective, um, I think that we have enough, enough data to suggest that this is a, a good idea, not just in terms of um, cardiovascular strength and avoiding certain kinds of diseases and having stronger musculoskeletal salts, um, but I think it is also probably a good idea from the mental health.
0: And the future of this area of research, um, I would guess, probably lies in using uh, digital technology, mobile technology, for more objective measurements, both of activity and of, of mood.
1: Yeah, I think that um, I think we mentioned this in the paper as well. I think there's a natural extension to this kind of work to run a study, um, maybe if someone like Apple or someone like Fitbit or perhaps someone like Garmin. Um, ran a study like this, where they did have more continuous or more objective measures of exercise, um, then that would that would certainly help clear up some questions around um, whether this was physical activity or whether this was um, a true exercise regime and how well um, people self-report about their exercise really relates to their actual physical activity. And I think that that kind of research setup would certainly answer a number of questions along those lines. Um, I'm a bit less convinced about how 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 much um, it will help us. Uh, understand that person's mental health. Um, it seems like in those contexts, people would still uh, be tied to self-report, but it might be a little bit more convenient. We may be able to get these people to do something like a PHQ-9 um, a bit more readily on their phone, and maybe we could get a, a couple of measurements to get a more continuous measurement um, of their mental health rather than just a, a single shot. Well,
0: thank you very much, Adam. Uh, the final whistle has unfortunately blown on this podcast, and I'm off to take a brisk walk around the office, uh, but. Once again, thank you for downloading and listening to the Lancet Psychiatry Podcast, and I hope that you'll join us again next time. Goodbye.